how to do an in-depth player analysis, how to find undervalued players for stolen bases, plus a complete look at all of the players gaining and losing value around baseball as a result of the MLB trade deadline deals. It's a jam-packed show, so sit back, relax. Beat the Shift is coming up next. And welcome to another episode of the Beat the Shift podcast. I am your host, Ariel Cohen, and with me as always is Ruven Guy. How are you, Ruven? I'm doing great. How are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. Softball going really well. Summer season, we're undefeated in a bunch of leagues. Pitched a 9-0 shutout last night. Had Adam Ronis come to the last couple of uh, of uh, Sunday outings and cruising through that. Nice to have him at the games. So a fun summer indeed. How about you, Ruven? Well, my softball team actually clinched a playoff spot this week, and I guess that's the only baseball I'm really paying a lot of attention to because the New York teams have really nothing to pay attention to now. Oh, boy. How depressed are you from from the Mets? I I mean, I know that mathematically it's the right decision to sell off, but it's just just so many in, in, in such a short amount of time. I mean, Brandon Nimmo now has insomnia just thinking about it. How are you holding up? I actually love the trades. I know we'll get into it later, but I actually love what they did, and I think it was one of the smarter moves they've done in a long time. All right. Well, we've got a fantastic show. We're going to talk about those trades and some others. And we've got a great guest on the show. You might have seen her from the Scalcoal Report and from The Athletic. Welcome to the show, Andrea Arkadipani. How are you, Andrea? I'm good. Thanks for having me on. Our pleasure. Our pleasure. So, uh... Uh, you know, we were talking before the show, and uh, I know that you were working with the New York Yankees last year. You know, before we start, can you tell us a little bit about your experience there? Sure. So I was uh, their baseball operations associate for the 2022 season. So uh, my contract was January to January, and I helped in a lot of different areas. I did um, some advanced scouting with the major league team. So we looked at, you know, an upcoming series and identified strengths and weaknesses I did some uh, player evaluations, some uh, pro scouting, some prospect evaluation. So really got my hands in a lot of different areas. And it was a really great year. I had a great experience and learned from a lot of uh, really smart people over there. So uh, that's what a little bit about what we're going to talk about in the show. And uh, you're the perfect person to talk about it. It's, you know, how to do an in-depth player analysis. I mean, when I look at uh, somebody... Um, I'm first looking at the projections, um, the projections guy, and you know, generally for well-established players, the experienced, um, the true talent level that you see year after year is the best indicator. Of course, projections though have holes in them. Uh, there could be a, a change in skills improvement, right? A change in swing for pitchers. Maybe they're changing with their pitch mix. They're gaining velocity, right? Anything different than what has been done historical needs to be reviewed, right? And that's how you would do the in-depth player analysis to know whether, you know, any change that you see is real, is it better, and so on and so forth. So we wanted to get your take, and obviously without giving away any of the Yankee secrets, just in general, what is your approach to how to do an in-depth player analysis? Sure. Um, so for a hitter, I mean, obviously every player is, is different, so you, you can't really use the same formula for everyone, but... For hitters, I usually just start by like identifying the strengths and weaknesses, like trying to figure out 
how the player is going to contribute. So like, is he a power hitter, a contact hitter? Um, so I usually start by looking at the surface numbers to just get a feel and then digging into components. So starting with like, what is his power? Um, what is his ability to recognize pitches and take a walk? And what is his ability to put the ball in play? And then um, cultivating all that information and trying to come up with an expectation for him um, based on that and his swing and his other abilities on the field. Uh, for pitchers, it, it's similar, but it's trying to figure out like what type of pitcher they are. Do they get strikeouts or ground balls, weak contact? Um, then like looking at their control and then their command. And it's different for starters and relievers. Like for starters, you want to look at if they have a clear plan of attack uh, versus both hands, what is their stuff like? How's it shaped? What's the velocity? How does it move? What are the results versus each hand? Um, and then are there any improvements that could be made? Um, and then what about their you know mental state on the mound? And how does your analysis change from, let's say, from preseason to midseason? Or do you, do you look at players any differently? Are there any numbers or any statistics you look at to, to help you gain more information? Um, I think it depends. If like a player is playing differently than like a preseason expectation, I think I'll start by doing like a overall review and then trying to see if they made any changes. So if we're talking about a hitter, like did he change his swing? And you could review that from looking at video or um, is there something that's like drastically different about his approach? Like is he chasing more? Is he being more aggressive first pitch? Is he taking more pitches? And then trying to piece that all together to, to come up with either why he's overperforming or expectation or underperforming it. For pitchers, that could look like, you know, did they add a pitch? Did they change the grip on a pitch? Or is it moving differently? Are they using it differently? Uh, so there's a lot of different avenues you can go down. Um, but the first step is noticing that there was a change. Yeah. You know, for, for pitchers, um, and tell me if I'm wrong, velocity is still one of the single biggest indicators that you can look at in terms of component-wise. Um, and we, I look at, a, 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 I should say, uh, strikeout minus walk rate in season to determine if a pitcher has improved their skills or not. It, are, are, would you say that those two things are some of the most important things to get the very quickest, you know, one, one stat fits all uh, on, on whether a player is, is succeeding or not? I mean, I think those are all important things, but I, I, I'm personally against like a, a one size fits all approach, just because like there are slower velocity pitchers that sure. do very well because their stuff moves so much. But yeah, I would say in general the strikeout rate matters. Um, but if just because someone's strikeout rate is low doesn't mean they're not doing something else right. Like they might be getting a you know a seventy percent ground ball rate. So you just need to be careful. Um, like if someone is, is looking at that kind of stuff, uh, not to make a quick conclusion. But yeah, walk rate is a big deal too. Um, and if someone's velocity starts ticking down randomly, that's a flag to raise. Sure. Now, um, what do you do different when you're looking at established veterans versus rookies or second-year players? Because to me, um, it's very, very different. You know, old-school players who have done it, you're you're you know you you know what you're getting. Rookies to me, it's about looking what they're doing in the in the minors, seeing if that translated into the majors, seeing what their potential is. What, how do you handle the difference between the two? 
Uh, again, I, th I think it really depends for me um, from player to player. Uh, like sometimes you have veterans, like you said, who know what works for them and you know what to expect from them. But other times you'll have players who like have been up and down or haven't been using their skill set to their best ability. Um, or maybe they're with an organization that hasn't unleashed like a certain feature of their skill set yet. Um, and for those players, you can dig a little deeper to see if there's any room for improvement or if there's something they can be doing better. Um, but for rookies, it's similar, but then there's also an awareness, like you said, that they're reaching a new level of talent that's harder than you know, their experience in the minor leagues. And just like when prospects jump levels, like from you know, low A, high A, double A, whatever, rookies also need an adjustment period. But I'll say that isn't like a blanket grace for them. Like, Meaning, like, if you're to analyze a rookie, you can't just blame all their struggles on, like, reaching the majors. Uh, there's often a weakness that's being exposed at that level that they'll need to make an adjustment for. And the best players are the ones that find a way and, and make that adjustment. So when evaluating them, it's important to find that weakness and then see their ability to adjust real time in order to figure out whether or not they're going to be in the majors for an extended amount of time. And one other type of player is a foreign player. Let's say a, a player comes from Japan, and you don't know how they're how that's going to translate to American baseball. How do you how do you an, analyze that type of player? Like, let's say when Kodai Singh has come came over, or, or when Otani came over originally, how can you um, how do you analyze and compare different countries and different leagues? Yeah, that's really tough um, because you never know, um, and that's also a big like mental change for them because they're coming somewhere where they likely haven't lived before. It's a new culture, it's a lot to take in. And then also like some of those leagues just do things differently. Uh, um, I think MPB uses different balls, different mound heights. So there's a lot of things to consider, but I think if someone is like really dominating over there or has like a really filthy pitch uh, or something like that, that's usually a good indication of something that at least they can bring over. But I'm, I'm not too familiar with the international market. You recently had an article about uh, stolen bases and uh, you know players who might steal more than expected and you know uh, uh, pitchers who are going to be run on and so on and so forth. Let's let's talk about players and stealing. Um, you know, especially when we're playing fantasy baseball, and uh, if you're in a rotisserie league where stolen bases are a category, with a lot a lot of listeners that listen to the show are there. Um, what what can you say to the listening audience is uh, some good methods for finding some undervalued fantasy players, players who are going to, in terms of stolen bases, players who are going to steal more than expected. How can you tell when somebody's going to take the next step? Sure. Um, well, I think an obvious way is, are they fast? Um, but anyone could, could figure that out. Um, so like, a, you know, a Trey Turner obviously is going to steal a lot of bases or, you know, Corbin Carroll. Um, but I think the undervalued ones are the ones that have really good instincts, um, like they get good reads on pitchers, and they have good awareness. Uh, so I think in the article I talked about Freddie Freeman and Kyle Tucker, they both have below average speed, but they get good reads, and they have like high stolen base efficiency rates because of that. So just keeping an eye out like when you're watching a game and noticing, like does that player consistently get good jumps? Or if you're looking through stats, you could filter by, you know, stolen base efficiency. And if someone sticks out that's slow, you know, don't just go to the leaderboards for sprint speeds. Keep an eye open for those other guys that might be sneaking under the radar. And then on the other side of that, some guys are fast, but they aren't really paying attention on the bases. 
um, like the other night, I think it was last night or two nights ago, I was watching the Yankee game and uh, the Rays had Harold Ramirez on base and he was picked off because he just wasn't paying attention. So trends like that is also just something to keep an eye on. You know, so when I look at some stolen base guys and seeing how they're going to do or how they're doing, you know, I would say that it's the skill times opportunity. It's, you know, what percentage of the time you're successful at stealing times what percentage of the time you're going to steal. And a lot of times that might be the player, obviously a fast player is going to steal more, but it also could be manager decision. We were talking on the show last week about John Birdie. John Birdie, who stole, you know, was at the top of the league last year, He's not really stealing that much, if I'm not mistaken. I think Freddie Freeman has more steals than Birdie this year. And it's not like Birdie is not getting on. He has almost a 300 batting average, but yet he's not really stealing. And it might have to do with the philosophy of the organization that they're not giving him the green light. They don't want people running into outs just as a general philosophy. Do you see that that's uh, the case? Is this team-by-team organization dependent that it's not just the ability of the players, it's also the philosophy of the club? Yeah, I would 100% say that. Um, So, like, one of the major projects that I worked on last year with the Yankees was, like, uh, getting them to steal third base more because that was an area that they hadn't really gotten too involved in. And um, so that in itself was an organizational effort to improve that part of the game. So I'm sure that that happens in other organizations too, whether you know they figure maybe it would be more value for us not to run in certain situations or maybe we should be more aggressive on the basis. So yeah, I would definitely say it's important to be familiar with like the organizational trends regarding stolen bases. And before we go on, it's time for the Injury Guru's Trivia of the Week. Now, this trivia question is actually going to be a two-pronged question, and I think you should be able, Andrea, I think you should be able to get at least one of the answers correct. First question is, and we're going to talk about pitchers and how they can hold them on, how, how they hold on base runners, and who's easy to run on. Can you name, there are three pitchers who have allowed a total of 20 stolen bases this year in the majors. Three pitchers. Can you name them? Oh, dear. Well, first of all, I want to caveat this by saying I'm terrible at trivia. But okay. <laughs> I'll try my best. <laughs> uh, 20 stolen bases. Um, hmm. Noah Syndergaard? That's one of them. Very good. Oh, okay, okay. I know he's very slow to the plate. That's why yes. I guessed that. Uh, hmm, let me think. By the way, my only answer was Noah Syndergaard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's usually everyone's answer, yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll, give, I'll give each one of you, I'll give you a hint for the next two. One was traded during the... Uh, during the trade deadline, and one plays for the White Sox. Is the White Sox Clevenger? No, he's he's up there, but not not that high. Was it Scherzer? No. It was Rich Hill. Oh, who was traded. He's lefty. allowed twenty, and and left, which is odd. And Michael Kopech, he's allowed twenty stolen bases. But the on the other side of it, the catchers. There are two catchers. Who had or in the top five of runners caught and caught stealing percentage? Which two catchers in baseball fit that mold of being one of the guys at the top of the caught stealing percentage rate, number uh, top five, and the top five of, of runners actually thrown out? Uh, is it? Oh gosh, I'm trying to think who has a good arm here. Jonah Heim? No. 
It's not our boy Alvarez, is it? Francis no, he hasn't. No, he hasn't had that many opportunities yet. Murphy. No, that's a good guess, but no. Um, Patrick Bailey, San Francisco. He's caught twenty six base runners. I'm so, I'm sorry. He's caught uh, nineteen base runners, and he's got a thirty eight percent caught stealing wow. rate. And Connor Wong. Connor Wong is number is ranked third in base runners thrown out with a with a thirty point nine caught stealing rate. So my question to you then is this: How much does the catchers play into it? How much do the pitchers play into it when it comes to stealing? A big part. Um, yeah, there's a lot to consider for each one of those players. Uh, I would say for pitchers, like you, like I kind of hinted at for a Syndergaard, you need to know their time to plate. Um, do they have something that makes them slow, like a big leg kick that they don't get rid of when there's someone on base? Um, hold times, like do they change their hold times? Is it? Um, I mean, that's a little harder with the pitch clock now um, because you can't vary your hold times too much, but it is something to keep an eye out for. And then similar to when you have someone on base, like their awareness of the runner. Like there are some pitchers that just ignore runners on, especially relief pitchers. So, you know, how often are they using their pickoff moves? Um, do they look a lot to the base? Or like I said, do they just ignore whoever's on base? And then for catchers, you know, how good is their arm? And then how good is their accuracy and their pop time? Um, so those are all things that you want to be aware of when you're stealing a base. But just because you have a good catcher uh, behind the plate doesn't necessarily mean you're not going to steal because it's very difficult to have like a strong and accurate throw every single time. So I wouldn't say, you know, never steal against certain catchers, but um, maybe proceed with caution against some. Ruven, in fantasy, are are you looking for each weekly lineup? Are you looking at the opponents that that uh, teams uh, that players on your fantasy roster are playing to see whether oh this is a team you can run on, this is a team you cannot. You can run on the Red Sox, so if you've got stolen base guys playing against them, get them all in your lineup. Are, are you looking that in DFS? I would be. Um, I, I haven't been doing that this year really in in uh, weekly lineup setting. What about you? I've been doing it a little bit, but it's kind of hard to do that because with all the injuries you have for your roster, sometimes you have to play those guys. But if you don't have to, then yes, you do look at the catchers and you can, you should look at these numbers. They're available on Baseball Reference. You can look these up. Who has who's thrown out the most uh, guys and and who gets run on the most? You can you can look this all this information up too, and it gives you an advantage just knowing that okay, you know what? Maybe the team philosophy, even if they're a running team, like let's say they're the Reds or a team that steals a lot of bases, maybe they won't run as much because they're more inhibited either because a pitcher has a good pickoff move, whether the catcher has a good arm. So I, I do occasionally look at this, especially when it comes to a coin flip when it comes to picking players. Yeah, same question to you, Andrea. Are, are, do you think that this should be a fantasy decision uh, as in terms of pitchers and catchers to run on when you're looking at setting your weekly lineups? Um, if you're looking for a few extra points from a stolen base, then maybe. Um, but if I'm, I'm being totally honest, I haven't played fantasy in two years now, so I haven't been <laughs> <laughs> checking. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think it is if, if you have the roster space for it and you're not like subtracting, you know, a ton of power or, or something else that can get you a more substantial point value, then yeah, I think it is worth looking into. Is that frowned upon while you're working with the Yankees to play fantasy baseball? Is that frowned upon? Well, I wasn't allowed to. Uh, like <laughs> it, was, it was in the contract, so that's yes. why I haven't been that active with that. Yes, yes, yes. No, I'd imagine that. All right, let's talk trade deadline. Um, 
couple of quick thoughts, and then we'll get into uh, some of uh, the details of some of the interesting prospects, and we'll talk about where you might be able to pick up some value in players with more playing time. Uh, but uh, my quick thoughts are uh, lower volume this year in terms of trades and lower in terms of importance of trades. I mean, the two biggest trades could have been Scherzer and and Verlander. Like, is that really the most important ones? Maybe. That's certainly the high-profile ones we saw, but we, we've seen bigger ones in the past. Um, the Mets were just extreme sellers. I knew they would sell, but it just felt like a stab. I mean, th- to me, the Scherzer conference call, uh, his press conference, uh, that was that was really upsetting. Where he basically said, "Well, you know, the organization said, you know, we're not going to compete this year and next year. So, what do you want to do, Max?" That was very upsetting to hear. Um, the Mets were the team to go to uh, in terms of you, if, if you want to get the player without paying money. The Mets were paying off everybody's contracts, and it seemed that every team was trying to take advantage of that. Uh, the teams didn't want to increase payroll, but they were okay with giving those prospects. Uh, and so that it worked out. You had a good uh, seller's market, a good buyer's market for that type of asset where it's just prospect, no money, no taking on money. Uh, I was also surprised the uh, Angels, um, surprised that they went for it, and they rid themselves of their entire farm. I mean, if they don't sign Otani, then what do they got after that? They've got an older Mike Trout. And no prospects coming up. So I was very, very, very uh, puzzled by that. Um, And in general, I saw a lot of teams say that we're not going to trade or acquire, that we're just going to go with what we have. We're not going to hurt ourselves for next year, do our best. There were few teams that just went all in, we're buying, uh, or we're all in, we're selling. It was much less. But that's what you would imagine when you have more playoff spots, that you get more teams in the middle. Uh, Ruben? What about you? Quick thoughts on uh, your take on what happened to the trade deadline. Yeah, it was actually a very interesting trade deadline. I I don't remember one being like this in a long time because you never really have a big market team like this, like the Mets, selling off like they did. So that was a big thing. But you mentioned the Angels. I think the Angels went for it on purpose. I think they wanted to show Otani that, listen, we're close. We're going to push for it. And this is their selling market. This is their selling themselves to Otani to re-sign with them. And I think because they did that, I think there's a good chance that Otani will re-sign with the Angels just because the Angels are willing to go for it. And listen, they're going they're going for broke right now. Like you said, they emptied their farm system. So, you know, it didn't make any other sense why they would do that except maybe just to tell Otani that we're going to go for it. And I also really liked what the Orioles did. They got a good starting pitcher. They got Jack Flaherty, who actually pitched very well today. He already got them a win against the Blue Jays. Um, I think the Orioles are turning out to be the team to beat in the AL, and just having that extra starting pitcher there was great. I was just very... Very, I was very curious. You mentioned about very some teams not doing anything. There were some teams that are on the border, on like two games out, three games out, and they did nothing. I mean, the Yankees, they got Kenyon Middleton. That doesn't. That's not a needle changer for me. Andrew, what do you think? What do you? What are your thoughts on the trade deadline? Uh, yeah, I agree with a lot of the points that were brought up. Um, I'll add that for the Mets, I. It's an interesting strategy what they've been doing because um, it's so unique in terms of taking all that money and sending it to these teams. But I thought that the Astros in particular uh, took really good advantage of that. They essentially have Verlander for, I forget how much, but it was maybe $40 million at most that they would have to cover for him if they do if he, if he does both options. Um, but th- that was just very impressive to me that, you know, I don't, 
there's all these articles about like how much prospects are worth and you never know like what they're going to end up as but they have now strengthened something on their team that already was a strength so I thought that that was a, a really impressive move and then um to address some of the other teams that you brought up um yeah, I like the Orioles. They added a pitcher. I was hoping they would add also like a higher leverage pitcher, but it was a really tough market and a very competitive market for a lot of guys. And then on the other side of that, there weren't like really any hitters available to deadline, which I thought was very unique. Um, it was very sparse in terms of like who was moving around, and I don't even know who I would consider the best hitter that was traded. Uh, so... Yeah, I think that also put the Yankees in a tough spot. They did get Middleton. I did think that was a weird move because it, he's a rental reliever. They're kind of like on the brink of a playoff spot, but they haven't been playing like a team that is contending. So I thought that that was a very strange move. They were in on Carlson from what I think John Heyman was saying. But... Um, yeah, I thought that that actually would have been an interesting move if they added Carlson and maybe traded Bader or like done something like that, like a buy and sell kind of move, like one of those in-between teams, but that wasn't the direction they went. Yeah, I was very surprised that the Mets traded Scherzer and Verlander because in order to do that, you know, you have to have the Mets taken on an exorbitant amount of money, but they obviously showed that they would. There would have to be good enough prospects for them to do it, and there were. I mean, they and there were, and they were able to relinquish them, and um, the Mets had to decide that we're going to pay for prospects. I mean, I, I'm going to say that the Mets paid... I don't know, sixty million for three prospects, pretty much. Uh, it's it, you know, you're in, instead of investing in Verlander, you're investing in the prospects for over six years or whatever it is. Uh, but they did the math, and they probably did overpay. But for the Mets, I think that it wasn't the issue of the money; it was the issue of we need the talent. So they they were willing to go the extra dollar. Um, very, I mean, uh, we're talking a lot about the Mets, but the Mets were really the forefront of the whole thing. Uh, let's talk about the prospects being traded and maybe some of the interesting prospects and their timelines. Mets got uh, Luis Angel Acuna, who's 21 years old, middle infielder, although we're talking before with Ruvain and uh, thinking maybe he uh, drifts over to the outfield and takes over at center field at some point. Uh, he could use a little bit more power. Right now, the comps are more like on Ozzy Albis rather than uh, his brother, uh, but uh, should be good. Mets also got Drew Gilbert and Ryan Clifford from the Astros, both top prospects. Gilbert, strong hitter, very strong arm. Clifford, younger, probably more upside than uh, than the other. Uh, he's got power. I think he homered today. Uh, and the Mets also got Marco Vargas uh, in the uh, Robertson trade. Uh, kid with a good eye, good strikeout rate, good walk rate, so somebody who might be able to make contact. Four guys who might even be able to go. Um, any takes on the Mets prospects, Andrea, that they acquired? Uh, who, who do you like from there, and uh, do, do you like those trades? Uh, I, I did like the trades. I am not that familiar with the Mets prospects that they got, uh, but I am looking forward to checking out a Cyclones game to watch a couple of these guys uh, in the coming weeks. But I do have uh, a couple of opinions on some of the other guys that, that were traded. Uh, I think uh, Drew Rom went to Seattle from Baltimore. I thought that that was a nice addition for them. Uh, he's like a weak contact pitcher. He gets ground balls on his... Uh, sinker splitter combination he's got historically above average control and they added him to the 40 man uh so i think that he it's a possibility that he takes some innings as soon as this season 
um, or if not now, then likely early on next season. And then uh, the Rays traded a top prospect of theirs, Kyle Manzardo, to uh, Cleveland, and he's really skyrocketed through the minors. Uh, he's done very well. He's in AAA now. He has power. He could walk, and he could really like achieve that next level if his hit tool reaches its like potential as plus plus, which a lot of people who have seen him play thinks that it will. So I don't think they have a need to rush him, but I do think that he is major league ready as soon as next season. Ruvain, what about you? Any other takes on uh, prospects being traded? Yeah, well, another issue, another thing on on Manzardo, he's he is the Rays minor league player of the year last year, so he is a very high prospect that they, they had to give away he's a lefty first baseman he hit he's hit uh, two, 22 home runs with an ops of 1043 already this year in, in high a and double so he slots in perfectly in like maybe the end of this year beginning of next year possibly to replace josh bell who they traded away so that's that's that was actually a pretty good get for them um the pirates they actually picked up a pitcher jackson wolf and the padres who, who when the pirates traded away rich hill uh wolf he allowed three runs in five innings in his MLB debut this year, but he struck out 105 batters in 88 and a third innings at Double A this year. So that's something that's a guy to look for. Um, the Marlins got Jake Berger from the White Sox for Jake Eater. Eater was Miami's number four prospect prior to the trade. He's coming back from Tommy John surgery, and his K per nine since coming back is 11. So that's another guy who's very interesting. Uh, Nelson Velasquez, who was picked up from the, um, I believe this was the Cubs, uh, Cubs sent him to the Royals. Nelson Velasquez, we actually saw him in the Arizona Fall League uh, two years ago. He has a lot of tools. He's just very raw. He didn't play that many games last year in the major league level, but this year he's got 15 doubles, 16 homers at AAA, so he's someone to also watch for. All right, good stuff. Let's talk about um, more fan effective in terms of uh, what players are going to gain or lose value. Um, mostly from playing time, I would say, but it could be also from different role, different change in park, uh, team context. Maybe you get a better RBIs and runs and a better lineup, so on and so forth. Let's go around by division. Um, I guess uh, we'll go around the room here, but uh, why don't you start first, Andrea, in the NL East? Um, who are the players that are going to gain and lose value uh, for you for the rest of the season? Sure. Um, let's see. For Miami, I think that, you know, they like you said, they added Josh Bell. Um, so less playing time for Yuli Gurriel at first base. And they're both righties, so they can't even really put two in there. Um, they also added Jake Berger, but I don't think that that's going to have a major impact on John Birdie because he's pretty much already been used as a platoon with Joey Wendell. Um, and I think he'll move into more of a utility role moving forward. For the Phillies, uh, they had they added Michael Lorenzen, which was a great add. Um, but I'm not sure whether or not they'll stick with a six-man rotation or maybe push Christopher Sanchez out, even though he's been doing pretty well this year. And then uh, my last note here is the Nationals. Uh, they have an open spot at third now, and they've got their prospect, Jake Alou. I'm not sure if that's how you pronounce his name. Um, to take third or Carter Keboom, who at this point might just be out of favor with the club. Um, they've been giving him a chance for the past few years and it hasn't really been clicking. Uh, so yeah, but I don't, I don't know if either of those players on the Nationals end are going to provide a ton offensively. Yeah, just one, one correction. I think uh, Josh Bell is a switch hitter. So I guess he'll platoon, but you're right. Gurriel will lose playing time either way. 
Um, Ruvain, uh, anything to add on the NL East? Yeah, because the Mets traded away David Robertson, it creates an opening for closer. Now, I don't know who wants a closer on a bad team, but Brooks Raley's avail- uh, Brooks, Brooks Raley's has been closing. I actually thought he was going to be traded because he's actually a pretty good lefty. And Adam Adovino's there also. He can get some more save opportunities. And the reason why they didn't trade Adam Adovino is because he is a quote-unquote New York guy, and he has a player option, and he actually wants to come back to the Mets next year. So that's I think that's one of the reasons why Adovino wasn't moved. But if you need a closer, I, I guess Brooks really is the one who got the most opportunities so far. Yeah, David Peterson and Tyler McGill uh, for the Mets are going to now start. So um, for deeper leagues, that's interesting. Mark Vientos also is going to get more playing time, so take a look at that. Um, A.J. Puck loses value. If you thought he was the closer, um, he's going to lose saves to newly acquired David Robertson. And he's not. He's still going to get some save share because Robertson can't go every day, but that works. And, uh, yeah, as, as you said on the Nationals, there, there's no one worth playing. So they all gain time because Ken Lario was traded, but um, – yeah. <laughs> Look Look elsewhere, please, yes, <laughs> yep all right, let's go to let's go to the uh n l central uh Ruvain, why don't you start? I'm going to start with the Cardinals, who were a seller. uh they traded away um Paul Young, and when they traded him away, they actually um activated and well, they had some injuries and and they activated Tommy Edmond, but I think Mason Wynn may get called up. We mentioned him, I think, last uh, last week. Mason Wynn may get called up. He may play some shortstop there, so that's something to be interesting in down the future because they may just want to see what they have there. Sticking with the Cardinals, I guess Gallegos is the closer now because Helsley's still on the way back from injury and Hicks is gone, so I guess Gallegos is the closer by default. He he had a little rough patch in the middle of the season, but he's actually done pretty well in the last couple of, week, last couple of uh, outings, so that's something to look for. And we mentioned Heimer Candelero. He was traded to the Cubs. He's in a better lineup which is good but Patrick Wisdom if you had him on your bench and you want to use him for power he may end up losing playing time all right Andrew anything to add to the NL Central um hmm. I will also add that the Brewers got Carlos Santana uh and he's going to take over first base for Tellez but he's on the IL so that's not really that surprising um but yeah, I I don't think I have a ton else to add here besides maybe Tyrone Taylor being the odd man out, but he was already being used less and less following like May. All right, so I'll start with the NL West. Um, first of all, the Diamondbacks got Paul Seawold, so the rest of their closer committee is probably now just going to be the committee for the seventh inning. So McGuff and Ginkle, uh, those guys really have little value now. Colorado, Justin Lawrence is probably now the full-time closer. So if you didn't know whether it was him or Pierce Johnson who was traded, it's now Justin Lawrence. Not that the Rockies are a great source of saves, but if you're in a deep league, why not? Uh, the Rockies are going to get more playing time from players because they traded away Randall Grichuk and C.J. Krohn. Uh, again, it's another situation of do you really want these guys, but they do play in Colorado, so they are going to have more than average. Uh, Jerkson Profar should gain more time. He has the most upside. Uh, that's somebody who's interesting. Otherwise, at first, they're going to platoon like Taglia and Montero. Eh, uh, probably not worth it. Um, we mentioned Arizona in terms of the closers, but uh, Tommy Pham, I think actually he's going to lose playing time because he was starting to get a lot of playing time with the Mets. Um, and the rest of the Arizona outfield probably each are going to lose a little bit of playing time as they distribute it um, going forward. 
Uh, lastly, the Dodgers, Lance Lynn. That's now a much better uh, situation. Um, th- he's now going to be in a better ballpark with a better team. Maybe they'll fix him a little bit. Lance Lynn should be a value increaser. I think if people were ready to get rid of him, maybe maybe not. Uh, and we mentioned Ahmed Rosario last week. Uh, he's going to lose some playing time on the Dodgers, but a much better lineup situation. Overall, I think he might be interesting. Maybe they jog him. Maybe uh, they get him right, and he all of a sudden goes on a tear and starts stealing bases and hits for high average again. So I'm interested in him. Just check him out. Anything to add, um, Ruvain? We'll go to you first to to add on the NL West. Yeah, I got one other player. The the guy from Pitcher List, the uh, pitching pirate, Ryan Yarborough. Ryan Ryan Yarborough was traded to the Dodgers. He's a bulk guy, and the Dodgers, their starting staff can't seem to stay healthy, so he's actually going to get more... Uh, he's going to get more value there because he's playing for a better team and a better chance of wins. If he they use him as a bulk pitcher, have an opener, have him, have, have him as a bulk pitcher, then he will gain a lot of playing time. What did Nick Pollock, Nick Pollock call him? The fratty, the fratty pirate? Is that his nickname? Yes. Yes, that's yeah. why. Yeah, so Ryan Yarbrough. Ryan Yarbrough. All right. Andrew, any, anything to add on the uh, NL West? Um, I'll uh, bump up your point about Lance Lynn. Uh, he actually pitched the other night, and they changed his pitch mix already quite dramatically against lefties. Like they had him throwing his four seam like more than eighty percent of the time versus left-handed hitters, and uh, they dramatically reduced his cutter usage as well. And he's historically been a lot worse versus left-handed hitters in his career. I think the split was a four point sixty-two FIP versus left and two point ninety-eight FIP versus right. So um, if they could improve his results against lefties, I think that would make him a lot more effective overall. And then I'll also add for the Dodgers, there's going to be a reduced role for Kike Hernandez, who was getting a lot of starts in Boston, but I do think that he's more likely now to take on a bench role in L.A. Yep, and the Dodgers like him doing that role. Uh, you know, you know, you mentioned pitch mix, and we probably should have talked about it more during our strategy section earlier, but, uh, you know, projections currently, or at least most projections, don't really take into account pitch mix changes when looking at pitchers in the future. But I think that that's one of the big components you're going to see incorporated in every projection where they don't, they don't just componentize righty versus lefty. Like, it's just going to be, Full pitch mix. Oh, what was his, you know, value uh, uh, before on each type of pitch, and what percentage? And if projections are going to say, okay, take the, you know, historical values, calculate how pitchers did historically to get a to get a true talent level, and then multiply it by the new percentage of usage in the future, uh, and you're going to get a much more quickly responding projection to changes. So some pitcher who changed things in the last month of the year or quickly in the first half of a season, you're going to be able to see the true talent change much quicker in the future of projections. Is that your sense also, Andrea, as as to the future of how projections are going to go for pitching? Yeah, that sounds like really complicated. Um, So good luck incorporating that but (laughs) uh, but that would be amazing if if that is capable if you have the capability to do that yeah 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 all right well i mean you know when you're doing a projection you want to put the things that are very important and you know the biggest thing a couple years ago was pitcher velocity don't just look at historical look at velocity um, once you notice a, a, a fact or a component that's significant that you can you know put into it as oh this is a part of a change how good a player is you know you got to scale to that 
you know, you incorporate it. And pitch mix really is a big thing. Uh, it's also very easy to componentize. All right, right back to you, Andrea, on the AL East. What are some of the value changers there? Mm, okay. Um, I'll start, I guess, with the Orioles. They added Jack Flaherty. I have not yet figured out who is going to get reduced role because of that. Maybe Tyler Wells. Um, I also had Cole Irvin, but he was already in the bullpen. So, But now there's even less room in the rotation for him to get like a spot start or anything like that. Um, on the Blue Jays, they got Paul DeYoung. I'm not sure if Bichette is going to make it back this season, but if he does, he's going to go from a starting role to a backup. Uh, the Rays, they got Aaron Savale, which was a nice ad, but because now Shane McClanahan's on the IL, I don't think that that's going to impact playing time for anyone. Um... And I don't. The Yankees only did uh, only got Middleton, so I don't really think there's a lot of movement there. Yep. No good stuff. And uh, I think Flaherty, he already did it today. He he looks good, and I think the change of scenery, the better ballpark, that's going to help him a lot. I think it's a very nice. Ruvain said it already. It's a nice pickup for him. Anything to add to that? Yeah, with Aaron Savali, if the Rays want a pitcher and they go and they get and they go after a pitcher and they trade someone like they did, they must something in him that we don't it's like there's something in with Zach Eflin so don't be surprised if you see more value coming out of Aaron Savali yeah like what the hit rate on Rays and their pitchers have been pretty high if you want to gamble on a pitcher that might gain value maybe it's a guy that the Rays traded for so I, I'm with you on that Ruvain right back to you Ruvain on the AL Central go through it okay I got I actually got two situations I got Luis Patino who was traded to the White Sox. Well, now he may actually get a full-time shot. They may, when, when he was in the minors before, he was sh- uh, shuttled up and down, up and down. Now he's actually going to have probably, they're going to want, the White Sox want to see what he has. So I think he's going to get more playing time. So if you want to take a risk, a gamble on someone, he's not up in the majors yet, but I can see him being called up in the next few weeks just because the White Sox don't have anyone else right now. And another guy is Carlos Hernandez, the new closer or the hypothetical new closer for the Royals. But same goes as any other closer for a bad team. Do you really want to invest in him? I mean, the first time he came in in a close situation uh, was against the Mets, and he gave up a two-run home run to uh, Francisco Alvarez in the tie game. So I don't know how much he's been pitching well this year, but, I mean, going after the third closer in for the Royals, I'm not really that interested. Yeah. Other closers in the AL Central, Gregory Santos looks to be the new closer for the White Sox. You know, we'll see. Um, certainly if you're in a deep league, take a cho- chance. And uh, for those of you who have uh, Johan Duran, um, he is the closer. So, um, you know, he was had a little bit of playing time in terms of save share fight previously, but uh, now he's going to be the sole guy, and he's pretty good. So his value goes up, although in fantasy everybody owns him already. Uh, so you're probably not going to pick him up, but yes, more value. If you haven't had your trade deadline value, uh, he's definitely a guy that you want going forward, and the Twins have good pitching, so they're going to get a lot of saves opportunities going forward. Anything else to add to the AL Central, Andrea? Uh, No, I didn't have a ton here. I feel like there wasn't a lot of movement in the AL Central, but maybe for next year, uh, Corey Lee is going to get more of a role with the White Sox. Um, but I, I, he's kind of in the same boat for me as some of the others in terms of, I don't know what he's going to contribute. So maybe he's not worth a pickup, but yeah, I just figured I'd add it. All right. What do you have for the AL West, Andrea? 
uh, let's see. Uh, for the Rangers, they added quite a, a lot. Uh, they got two more starters, so I think we'll see reduced starts from maybe Dunning and Perez. Uh, and then we'll see maybe Austin Hedges cover Heim's injury. So um, even though he was a, a backup already, I don't think there's going to be a major change in role there. And I and he's a framer. He's not an offensive catcher. So I'm not sure that that uh, really matters for, uh, for fantasy pickups. For the Astros, I think we're going to see uh, less of a role for Blanco. And I, I'm not sure how to pronounce this name, so apologies. Brandon Bilak. Bilak. Uh, I think they're going to get spot starts, but um, not as frequently as they have been with uh, the addition of Verlander. And then for the Angels, I don't think there's going to be a major change in role, uh, except maybe Trey Cabbage uh, doesn't get as much playing time as he has been as of late because of the acquisition of CJ Cron. And they, uh, they just have a lot of position players on their roster that don't have a ton of flexibility. There's only a couple that have options. So because of that, I think that he's going to uh, kind of take a back seat for now. I think Mickey Moniak might lose a little bit of playing time to Randall Grichuk. Um, and you might see uh, maybe Moustakas losing a couple of bats here and there, assuming Rendon is healthy. That's a big if. Um, but yeah, uh, those are the ma major changers. Um, obviously, Grichuk and Crone had, had a pretty good ballpark before. So Probably a value decrease, I would say. Um, we talked about Andres Munoz. Uh, he's also going to be the sole closer with Paul Seawall going. I, I had Munoz in you know three-quarters of my leagues, and I actually held him all season long. Uh, so hopefully that turned out to be the right thing. He was touted as one of the better potential closers, so we'll see how he goes in that role. Um, I'm curious, Ruvain, what do you think about Verlander and Scherzer? Are they value gainers or losers from the trade deadline? Verlander is an obvious gainer. He's been pitching well to begin with uh, before he was traded. That's why the Mets were able to get so much value out of him. Scherzer, I'm a little more concerned because if you look at all his peripheral numbers, they all seem to be on the decline, and, and not, not a small decline, like a big decline. So I think the reason why the Mets traded him is because they didn't want him for next year because if the decline already began, they'll be a little, I'll be a little nervous. Playing in Texas, he'll probably have a chance for more wins as long as he doesn't pitch like Kobe Lewis like he and, and give up four or five runs and go seven innings with nine strikeouts. You know, you got to hope your offense can carry you. And with Jonah Heim out, that could be a little bit of an issue. Um, but I think Verlander, his value goes up a tick. And I think Scherzer, his value goes down a tick. And I and you had mentioned about CJ Crone and, and Randall Grichuk losing some value because they're not in Colorado anymore. But they're in a better lineup now. They're with they're with Otani. Sure, Trout's sure. around the corner because they're in a better lineup. They may get a chance for more runs. They may get a chance to be in more RBI situations. So I think Grichuk is a bigger gainer, and I think Crone doesn't. I think he just stays the same. I don't think he gains or, or loses that much because of the lineup issue. Yeah, there's a trade off there, uh, but. Usually from Colorado, anywhere you go, even if in a better situation, it gets worse just because it's Colorado. Uh, but we'll see. We'll see. All right, let's do a little waiver wire. Um, we're talking about players who you might want to pick up for your teams this week. Andrew, we'll start with you. Who is a waiver wire pickup for you this week? Uh, so speaking of Andres Munoz, I had him as a waiver wire pickup uh, since he's now slotted to be the Mariners' closer, and he's more of – been capable of that role. He's got a plus-plus slider. 
100 mile per hour four seam, really high strikeout rate and a high ground ball rate. So he was actually one of my favorite relievers heading into the season. And I think that he is a great pickup on the waiver wire. Yeah. Um, interesting how, you know, they also had Seawald there and they went with Seawald as the closer. Well, Munoz was also hurt early in the season. So maybe things just, you know, went, went naturally. If he wasn't hurt, maybe he had a bigger sh- save share earlier on. I don't know. Um, but uh, now he's the sole closer and uh, he's a good one. Ruvain, any uh, waiver wire pickups for this week? Yeah, you mentioned a couple of them already. You mentioned David Peterson and Tyler McGill. David Peterson, they haven't they haven't been named as starters, but they probably will be starters because the Mets traded away forty percent of their pitching of their starting pitchers. So David Peterson, who's been pitching well recently, he's only seven percent owned in CBS leagues right now. He's definitely a guy you can get. Tyler McGill, I'd be a little more hesitant to, only because he hasn't been pitching that well in the minors. So if you want to guess on or, or take a take a gamble on one of them, I think Peterson would be the better one. And another guy who I want to mention who's 26% owned in CBS, Logan Ohapi. He had surgery for his shoulder, um, for his non-throwing shoulder for a labrum tear earlier in April. He's actually beginning a rehab assignment possibly next week. So if this is if you had if you have a catcher who's injured or you need to replace a catcher, let's say a Jonah Heim, this is a guy you may want to get because he's available in a lot of leagues and it looks like he's gonna be coming back sooner rather than later. That is a good one. I'll add uh you know, John Birdie is only 25% owned, and I mentioned he's a 300 batting average guy, and he's getting lineup reinforcements, so it's a better lineup. Uh, he's got great multi-position eligibility down the stretch. He might be interesting, even in 12-team leagues. Uh, with him, Josh Bell, a lot of your teammates might have dropped him, but I think maybe a change of scenery will do good. He had a monster debut the other day for the Mar, so I, I kind of like Josh Bell as a re-pick up. Um, the other, other guy I'll throw out there is J.P. Crawford, surprising me. Um, he's 40% owned in, on CBS. Nothing special, but he's like a 15 home run, decent average type. Uh, he should steal more than he does. I don't know why he doesn't, but he's good for a handful of steals every year. Um, he's a guy who just, if you need some basic production, rather than just try anybody, and he's in the middle infield, J.P. Crawford, you could do worse. Let's do some pitchers in the pitcher preview. Andrea, who's uh, a pitcher that you might want to pick up this coming week? Um, I have Kikuchi of Bougies because they're playing the Guardians. I think he's slated to start on the 8th. Uh, just because the Guardians have like a lefty heavy lineup and they struggle against lefty pitchers. And Kikuchi is more effective versus left-handed hitters. So I thought that that was an interesting matchup. And then I also had... Uh, Dylan Cease against the Yankees on eight on the seventh because they struggle hitting breaking pitches and he's got that plus plus slider. Moving. I got two. I got uh, Mike Clevenger going to go with the theme here of pitching against the Yankees. Mike Clevenger in his last three starts, he's one and one, but he's got a one seven six ERA and ten strikeouts in fifteen innings. Right now, if the schedule stays the way it is, he's supposed to pitch against Luis Severino. Why not? He's only 31% on the CBS. I think he's definitely a guy you should think about. And in much deeper leagues, if you want to take a stab at this, I think, Andrea, you mentioned him. Jake Irvin, he's pitching for the Nationals. He's only 6% on the CBS, but he's pitching at home against Oakland. He's been okay. He's been decent recently, his last couple of starts. He's 1-0 with a 4-5 ERA, but he's got 18 strikeouts in 18 innings. So if your ERA and whip can take the hit just a little bit, this is a guy who may be able to actually get you a win. I'll throw out three people. Uh, Wade Miley, he's back. 
He's been really good this year, by the way. Uh, he pitched four solid innings in his return from the IL. This week he is at home versus Colorado. That's a great start. I like that a lot. He's actually two start the following week, although it's tough. It's at L.A. Dodgers and at Texas. Ugh, that's it, it's tough. But I actually like him for this one start, uh, and I might even hold him, even if you don't want to play him. I know we have a rule that we, you know, if you don't have a, if you don't want to start a guy in a two start week, why is he on your team? But he's coming back from injury. Maybe hold him and hold him down the stretch. Uh, Adrian Hauser also gets Colorado this week. I like that start. He's been doing doing great. I lied. I'm going to mention four instead of three. Uh, Dakota Hudson. He's back. He's been great. He's building up. He now is at seven innings. He had seven strikeouts in the seventh, three earned runs in Minnesota quality start. He gets at Tampa Bay this week. Then he's two start versus Oakland and the Mets. Sorry to say this, but the Mets is a good start. Um, so I would do that. And how about Johan Oviedo for deeper leagues? He is heating up. He's giving you a lot of innings and a lot of strikeouts. So if you're in these deeper leagues, innings and strikeouts matter. He's versus Cincinnati this week, and he's at New York Mets the following week. So you want Oviedo interesting. Anybody else? Any other players before we move on? Anyone against the Mets. Anyone. This, this past week, the Mets were swept by the Royals, and the Royals pitching staff completely completely shut them down i mean brady singer threw eight innings of shutout ball i mean he's good but not that good so there are certain teams now the ones especially the ones who sold off i, I mean i wouldn't count the cardinals as much because they sold off but they still have a pretty formidable lineup but teams that really sold off or you saw that uh, sold a lot of pieces i think those are the teams you should target your starting pitchers against oh boy <laughs> it's so depressing Rufe, when, when when you say this you know oh uh, listen, but it, it you have to listen. You roll with the punches. You're if if you're a Met fan, you're used to this already. This is just common. This is you know it happens. According to Fangraphs, it's not terribly bleak. The Mets are projected to end at seventy eight and eighty four. So it's not ridiculous, but yeah, it's very different than what we expected. All right, end off with the injury report, Ruvain. What do we got? Well, we'll start with Bo Bichette. He was placed on the I.O. with right patellar tendonitis. He hurt his knee when he tried to come to a, a complete stop rounding first base. His MRI showed that the tendonitis. Blue Jays manager John Schneider declined to put a timetable ta- on his return. He says, quote, we got to see how he does. So Paul DeYoung, if he's available in your leagues right now, he's an instant pickup. Um, Mike Trout, he has begun doing dry swings and doing running drills. There's no timeline for his return, but this is the first step to see um, for, his, for his comeback. Anthony Rizzo, we mentioned him a lot last week. Um, he was put on the aisle because of a concussion. He said he's experiencing fogginess after the last uh, after a game on Sunday. He still played two games after that, which I'm not really understanding why. He said he noticed he was more tired, it, tired, but attributed to the grind of the season. He mentioned waking up feeling hungover and occasionally forgetting the number of outs. Testing showed his reaction time was slower. He and he said, "I just don't, you know, I didn't just forget how to do this all of a sudden." So. I don't know how long he's going to be out for. This is from a concussion back in May with Fernando Tatis. He 
he's going to be out for a while. If, if you want to take a chance on Jake Bowers, go ahead, be my guest. Jonah Heim, he was placed on the aisle with a left wrist tendon strain slash tear type of thing. It happened during a swing. Season-ending surgery is a possibility, but they're going to try to rest him for two weeks, see how he does. Mitch Garver will get some more playing time, obviously, there. Marcus Stroman was placed on the aisle with right hip inflammation. We don't know when it happened, but it may be a reason why he hasn't been pitching so well recently. Hayden... Which Nesky, I think I pronounced it right, for the Cubs may fill in at the at at in, the, in their rotation. Griffin Canning was also placed on the IL with right calf tendonitis, uh, right calf tightness. Sorry, it, they don't believe it's overly concerning, but they do want to rest him. Joe Ryan was placed on the IL with a left groin strain. We don't know how bad it is, but Dallas Keuchel. Yes, Dallas Keuchel is still a Major League Baseball player. He was called up and he's actually going to start. And Andrew, you. Did mention about Shane McClanahan. He started experiencing tightness in his forearm. They got an I they get an MRI, and as of this taping, we don't know what's going on, but he is on the IL, and you have to listen for news because he may be a drop in almost all leagues. Because if he's out for two months, which is a possibility, that may be the end of the season for him. Jordan Romano placed on the IL with back inflammation. He heard it actually during the All-Star game. He played catch this week on flat ground. He's hopefully going to advance to some mound work over the weekend and maybe, maybe return by August 13th. Until then, Jordan Hicks could be the closer. Yemi Garcia can close, while Eric Swanson actually got the first save. Uh, I mentioned Logan Ohapi already, so he's hopefully will be on track within 20 days because he's going to need a full 20 days on his rehab assignment. And I have to—I usually end on a positive, but I'm going to end on a, sort of a negative. Liam Hendricks—he had Tommy John surgery. He's done for the year. He's going to be out for a while, and I just wish him the best of luck. Yeah, a lot of injuries there. I got to tell you. Half those names you mentioned are on my fantasy teams, Ruvain. So, well, that, that's all I had to do. I just had to look at our fantasy team, <laughs> see who's hurt, and and there you go. Because it seems like our teams were okay from injuries for the first two, three months, four months, and all of a sudden they just seem to all pile on at the same time. Unfortunately, uh, one big reason for success in fantasy is not getting injured. Um, un- Unfortunately, that's what it is. It's just so many injuries, and uh, the team that doesn't get injured and compiles playing time often does better. So uh, you got to somehow get there, and you have to have build your team to mine uh, and to withstand injuries down the stretch. All right, well, this is a fantastic show. Uh, great perspective uh, from Andrea Arcadapani. Um, we talked about all the trade deadline stuff and so much fantasy perspective. Uh, really great job. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And why don't you just tell everybody uh, where we can find you, read your stuff, and uh, we can watch those fantastic videos that you do. Thanks. Um, and thanks so much for having me again. I, I really had a great time. Um, you could find me on Twitter uh, at Scout Report, uh, same handle on YouTube. And I post a lot of like video breakdowns on players and um, what to expect from them moving forward, or I highlight changes they made. I also do some roster construction stuff. And then I've also recently started a monthly column at The Athletic where I'm looking at uh, fantasy baseball from a scouting angle. So you could check out some of my stuff on there as well. Well, all all I would tell you is that Nando DeFino at The Athletic knows who, who to hire really well. Everybody who Nando hires is successful and does a fantastic job. So uh, that was a great great signing by uh, Nanda DeFino, who uh, just actually just got inducted to the Fantasy Sports Writers uh, Hall of Fame this year, and uh, so uh, picked up a good one, Andrea. So uh, congrats and uh, you know good success there. Thank you so much. Yeah, he's been super nice to me so far. So I'm hey, Nanda DeFino here. Hey, 
<laughs> that his voice. <laughs> we love we love Nando. I I haven't spoken to Nando in a while. Hope Nando is doing doing fine. Um, all right, Ruvain, what about you? Tell us about your stuff. You can follow me on Twitter or X, whatever you want to call it, at MLB Injury Guru, where I tweet out injury updates as they come, who's next up, and what's going on with the players and when they're going to be back. You can also follow me on Rotoballer. I have a weekly article coming out every week discussing the injuries to try to help you manage the fab for that week. Yeah, Nando DeFino here again. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, it's Ariel Cohen here. I love doing the Nando voice, though. Um, well, uh, it's Ariel Cohen here. Uh, Fangraphs, Rotographs. Uh, I'm at uh, Rotobowler as well on Twitter. Or, or should I say X? Are you guys using the term X yet or no? That's not a thing yet. I totally yet. forgot it was called X until Ruben just said it. <laughs> no, I, I, that was the first time I ever referred to it as X. Um, I'm still referring to it as Twitter, even though you can't retweet anything. When you try to retweet, it actually says repost now. So just be on oh, the that right? for that. Yes, repost? take a look. Yes. Re-exit? I'm Xing? I mean... I, you guys go with this brand change? What? What? Why? Why is he doing this? Every, every tweet is a verb already, you know. Well, anyways, on uh, on X, I'm at at atcny. Where that's Twitter. We all know it's Twitter. Um, and of course, the Beat the Shift podcast. You can listen each and every week. We'll be going to uh, the end of the baseball season, and uh, we should be strong there to help you through the rest of the year down the stretch. It's crunch time for everybody. Last two months of the year, you might be on vacation at some point, but check your lineup. See what's going on. I, I mean, I, I got to tell you, I, a couple years ago, I didn't check my lineups once, and you forget to set them, and one week is a big deal. So don't do that. Always set your lineups or get a friend to do that. Make sure a friend uh, does that. If you want advice about fantasy, get a friend involved partners this way somebody's always managing it even if you can't be there physically so have a great summer everybody have a great stretch run we'll see you next time on the beat the shift podcast thanks again to andrea and we'll see you soon Thanks for listening to the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangress. Follow us on Twitter at beat underscore shift underscore pod.